Welcome to another edition of Inside the Economy. I'm Larry House. Thanks for joining me. This time I want to talk about U.S. employment, how the consumer's spending, and last half got to deal with some issues, the tragedy that's going on in Ukraine right now, and some of the questions and specifically how it should impact the U.S. economy. Quick look at the numbers. ISM non-manufacturing numbers come down a little bit. It's still over 50, means it's still an expansion. Unemployment dropped, we're at 3.8 now. That is very indicative of what's going on in the labor market as a whole. Initial claims are down. Interest rates, most of the interest rates have come down, not their three month, but everything else has come down a little bit. Kind of a flight to quality during this problem going on in Europe right now. Oil contracts Friday were $115 a barrel. This morning, Monday morning, uh, I saw 124 West Texas Intermediate. Now, this is going to be uh, kind of a short-term boom in the oil market. Good for providers everywhere. Good for Alberta, good for local, good for a lot of providers. Probably even get Venezuela back in the oil market. The labor market is kind of an issue these days. The conference board comes up with these statistics and numbers after some interviews. A very volatile chart when people say jobs are plentiful, jobs are scarce. Right now, well, where jobs are plentiful. Uh, in some respects, they are. Depends on what it is. It's more hospitality and leisure than anything else. And if you look at this, this is a very important immigration number. After the previous administration tried to correct their version of some things in the immigration market and drove them down for a number of years, that has recovered. And we mentioned last time that legal immigration is extremely important to the U.S. We are a nation of immigrants, and that number is starting to return. And this is an integral part of the lower end of the labor market. Spending has continued to improve. This is not just inflating numbers. This is sustainable spending on a lot of levels. We're really not back buying cars yet, travel yet, hotels, a lot of things. Uh, the U.S. consumer is moving right along. This is uh, what's known as the REO. This is the real estate owned number. This is from the FDIC. This is the number and the dollar value of the real estate owned by banks. This would be property that was abandoned, foreclosed on, whatever. It's a tiny number and getting smaller. This is very indicative of where the real estate market is right now. It's very wealthy. It's very liquid. There's very few disaster properties, and lenders don't have much of an inventory. Everything that resembles foreclosures and the forbearance period that's being resolved very quickly, generally by a sale, and the people that lost their home probably walked away with a little cash, They'll probably never be in the real estate market again, but there was a very eager buyer. The U.S. economy has definitely showing more signs of staying very healthy. It is as healthy as it's been in 30 years. Corporate America has a fair amount of debt, but it's a very small ratio, smaller than it's been in in about 30 years. Some things in the Inflation equation are coming down, milled steel, milled copper, diesel, a few other things. 
on the producer price side. We're going to pick up some inflation on the consumer side with oil being where it is and a few other things. Wheat is certainly going to go up. Some precious metals are going to go up. If you pay more for a loaf of bread for a little while, it's just good for the producer, which is very likely going to be a U.S. farmer. Oil is just a little piece of the puzzle. It is volatile. It has gone through these sorts of periods in the past. This won't last long. Oil has no reason to be there. It's certainly not lack of supply. Everybody gets back in the market once oil gets in the 80s. And 130 is, well, just overreaction on short-term contracts. The S&P 500 as of today is probably down 10% year to date. So it's up about 14 in the past 12 months. It is kind of trying to correct. There's a lot going on. It's predominantly because of this. This is earnings. Earnings has actually crept down a little bit. That's a dark line at the top, the actual earning per share of the S&P 500. And that's how the market has reacted underneath. Is it overreacted? Well, it always either overreacts or underreacts. It's probably overreacted a little bit, and it's probably going to go down more due to the drama of what's going on in Asia and the Ukraine. To address a bunch of questions I've had, happy to do it. United States GDP is on the right. There's the European Union. There's Russia. Uh, Russia has basically got the GDP of the state of New York. There's the Ukraine. Ukraine's basically got the GDP of Kansas. Very similar production to wheat and sunflowers. It's not that this is... It's certainly not degrading about the human tragedy that's going on there, but as far as importance on the world stage, neither one of them really are. One very important indicator of where you are in the global financial food chain is where you are with treasuries, what your foreign reserve assets are, how you trade with everybody else on the globe, how you deal with banks. Uh, this is China and Japan up here in the top. They both have significant treasury holdings. They're very valuable. They're huh, precious to them. The type of sanctions that were given to Russia play well in the media. They don't have much impact on Russia. They would be devastating. Getting out of the banking system, losing access to your foreign currency reserves would be devastating to China, Japan, Germany, Brazil, a lot of countries like that. It's not a game you play with people that are active in the global market. Look down here in the bottom, there's Russia's treasury reserves, which they don't have access to. Not particularly important that they do. Uh, Putin has been buying gold for the last five or six years. He's bought about 2,500 tons of it, and he's sitting on it someplace in Moscow. That's his asset. Fine. It works well in a country that really doesn't do anything but drill holes in the ground, grow wheat and sunflowers. We use some of Russia's oil. It's about 7.9 on a monthly. This time that changes a lot. More from Canada, more from a lot of other places. It is not a huge deal if there is a, an embargo on Russian oil. It will simply be made up either in Alberta or domestic producers or Venezuela might get back in the borders. Lots of places where you can get the oil. It's really not a huge issue. 
Russia used to be a huge player in the natural gas industry back in the 90s and the early 2000s. They really intended to control Europe or have huge influence over Europe, assuming Europe remained completely dependent upon them for gas and oil and all their energy. Over the course of time, there's a lot of players in the gas market now, U.S. being a huge one, liquefied natural gas, and that business is booming. In fact, Germany just announced they're going to build another LNG terminal, probably in Hamburg this time. They need to wean themselves off Russian energy, and I'm sure they're going to do it after this invasion. These are Russia's trading partners. China is a huge trading partner, oil and wheat. Germany is a huge trading partner, mostly oil and wheat. Belarus is a big partner. Belarus is basically a Russian state, oil mostly. The rest kind of drop off. Everything else is oil. Most of the wheat that's produced in the Ukraine and Russia, eh, Indonesia, Egypt, Turkey, places like that, doesn't get this far. But as supply shrinks, and it will this year, it'll simply help the wheat farmers in Kansas get a little better price. Soybeans, for sure. Brazil had a horrible drought, so their crop is not good. So U.S. will make up the slack to China. Numbers will go up, yes, a little bit inflation. Push our inflation up a little bit higher than it probably would have been. Probably have it a little longer than it would have been. Not much. The Federal Reserve, it's in the bag. They're going to raise interest rates here in about 10 days. And again in May, and again and again. And we've talked about that this time next year. Maybe they're at one, maybe they're at one and a quarter, something like that. The economic impact of this tragedy in Ukraine is going to be predominantly the refugees. There's a million people across the border in Poland already. I'm sure the media has covered this extensively. Ukraines are much more culturally and historically tuned to the Poles and the Lithuanians than the Russians. With a little luck, the EU won't have to keep these people very long. This is hopefully different from the immigrant problem in 2015, which started the whole Brexit issue. Those were Muslims, and they're never going back. These are Catholic neighbors. Hopefully, they'll go back. Poland can't absorb a million people. They only have 38 million people now in a country a little bit bigger than Colorado. They can't afford to absorb a million refugees and feed them and give them jobs and housing for very long. They're going to have to go back. Well, I say that sort of ruthlessly, but if there was a motive by Mr. Putin to have dissension in the EU, right now it's only this immigrant issue. Everything else has failed. NATO has gotten tight. Germany is saying, we're going to find our energy somewhere else. You know the rest. Okay. United States is fundamentally on an economic side going to benefit from all of this because we'll replace what is lost in the marketplace. Happy to address any questions. Info at SHJ Wealth Advisors. Thanks for joining me.